ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the salvation of the lost and the revival of God's people. I'm Alan Mashburn, your Bible teacher and the pastor of Asbury Baptist Church, located at 218 Asbury Church Road in Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. On Sunday evenings, we provide online services which can be viewed on gospeldynamite.org. Now please join me in the study of the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us this morning. If you would, take your Bible, turn with us to Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 through 37, as we look at the gospel according to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 through 37. The Bible reads, At the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation." And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom and mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me. And I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth, and his ways judgment. And those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. For over two decades, a defiant, cocky little man by the name of Napoleon created turmoil in Europe. Despite his small stature, that was five foot two inches, he caused great trouble for all people around him. In his bid to regain some of the power he had lost due to a forced exile, Napoleon led his armies in a swath of devastation across the battlefields of Europe. On June 18, 1815. Napoleon and his armies faced the allied armies of England, Prussia, Russia, Austria, Belgium, and the Netherlands, led by the Duke of Wellington. Before the battle commenced, Napoleon, speaking to his commanding officer, said, we will put the infantry here, the cavalry over there, the artillery in that spot, and at the end of the day, England will be at the feet of France, and Wellington will be the prisoner of Napoleon. The officer responded, But we must not forget that man proposes and God disposes. With his typical arrogance, Napoleon stood as straight as he could, as tall as he could in his five-foot-two stature, and he said, I want you to understand, sir, that Napoleon proposes and Napoleon disposes. It was at this time that Victor Hugo, the writer, penned the words concerning the battle. And from that moment, he said, and I quote, Waterloo was lost 
For God sent rain and hail so that the troops of Napoleon could not maneuver as he had planned. And on the night of the battle, it was Napoleon who was the prisoner of Wellington and France. They were at the feet of England, end of quote. Pride is a ruthless taskmaster. It will convince us that we have all the answers. It will convince us that we know better than even God. And the passage that we've read just a moment ago gives us the testimony of a man who had learned a harsh lesson about pride and sin in his own heart. And in these verses, and in several others that precede them, we're given the details of Nebuchadnezzar's journey from sin to salvation. In this message, I want us to see how the most powerful man in the day was made prisoner of God, and how the nation of Babylon was placed at the feet of heaven. We look at the gospel according to Nebuchadnezzar. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1, if you were to take your time and understand and read that, you would see and understand a bit about the king and the power of the king, Nebuchadnezzar. According to chapter 1 and verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar was the most feared and the most mighty ruler of his day. He controlled the most powerful kingdom of Babylon, and he was unrivaled in power and military might. The Bible clearly states that Nebuchadnezzar was in the place of power because it was the will of God. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 2. In Jeremiah chapter 43 and verse 10, Jeremiah records the words of God where Nebuchadnezzar is called, I quote, my servant by God himself. He enjoyed the pinnacle of success and power because God had allowed him to be in that place. There's no such thing as a self made man. Any successes we enjoy in this life are a result of the sovereign will of God for us, and without God, we would all still be lost sinners on our way to a devil's hell. May the Lord help us to realize that everything that we have and accomplish in life is because of his power and his glory and his sovereignty. After all, he is the power responsible for it all. And even though Nebuchadnezzar was a great and powerful king, he failed to recognize and acknowledge God in his life. He even took the vessels of worship from the temple in Jerusalem and brought them to Babylon to be offered as a tribute to his God. Here's a man who is living his life independently from God and who cares nothing for the will of God in his life. This could be said of literally billions of people on this planet. They possess physical life, clarity of thought, and reasonable intelligence, but they're as dead to the things of God as if they were already in their graves. That's the type of person that takes life for granted. They ignore God. They ignore his gospel while they advance steadily day by day toward the flames of hell. Friend, you can live any way you please. But if you live your life with no regard to God and you die without Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will have no one to blame but yourself. This problem just doesn't apply to the lost of the world either. There are many people in the church who profess to be saved but who call all the shots in their lives. They live as if God were indeed dead. 
They rejoice in a resurrected Lord, but every day of their life they live as though he never walked out of that tomb. Isn't it about time that the Lord's children gave him the glory that he deserves? He is God. Now in chapter 2 through chapter 3 and chapter 4, we see the pride of Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 2, verse 1 to chapter 3, we see that Nebuchadnezzar was brought face to face with the power of the God of Israel. He was confronted with the truth of who God is. He was reminded that he was where he was by the power of God. Chapter 2 and verse 37. Yet Nebuchadnezzar responded by worshiping Daniel instead of God. Chapter 2 and verse 46. By proclaiming that the God of Daniel was a God among gods, a great God, no doubt, but just one among many. And by building a giant statue of himself and ordering men to worship it in chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, here is a man who had experienced God's power in his life firsthand, but he was totally blind and indifferent to what the Lord was doing for him and around him. This is the same problem with many people in our world today. They cannot see what God is doing. They can even see the hand of God in their life in protecting them in their daily travels and their daily walk. They can even testify to what he's done for them in many cases, but they refuse to bow before him in total surrender. For the lost man, this will end in hell. For the saint of God, this will end in chastisement and loss of reward. God forbid that we would be ever indifferent to the God who loved us enough to give his son for us on the cross. In chapter 3, verses 8 through 30, we see Nebuchadnezzar is brought face to face with God himself. He even sees the Lord in the furnace with the three Hebrew boys in verse 25. Yet at the end of the day, he comes short of a total commitment to the Lord of heaven. When he speaks of God, he still lumps God in all with the other gods. In verse 29, he refers to God as being their God. He's indifferent to the personal ministry of God in his life. Again, this can represent literally billions of people on this planet. They, too, are confronted with God and his power. And when the heat is on in their lives, they might get a little religious but they stop short of a total commitment, whether it be commitment to coming to God for salvation or that of totally committing one's life to him. In either case, there's no repentance and there's no brokenness over sin. I hope none of us are guilty of doing that, taking God for granted. In chapter 4, verses 4 through 30 of Daniel, Daniel again is called upon to interpret a dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And as he does so, Daniel is forced to tell the old king that the dream is actually a prophecy of oncoming judgment. Daniel does so with a heavy heart, according to chapter 4 and verse 19. The prophecy is one of judgment, a judgment that is designed to forever break the hard heart and will of this pagan king and to bring him to a place of total dependence upon the Lord. And as Daniel closes his comments to the king, he pleads with Nebuchadnezzar to repent of his sins and to turn to God 
Yet we see the king continuing to live in pride and arrogance, and he still refuses to acknowledge God, and he still refuses to submit to his will in verses 29 and 30. And as prophesied, judgment came. Again, we see a great parallel between this man and many people who live in our world and fill our church pews. There's no fear of God in their lives and no regard for the plain word of God. They live their lives as though God is a doting old grandfather with a button-up sweater handing out weather's originals, and they forget that he is the God of wrath and God of judgment. Did you know that the problem that Nebuchadnezzar had is the same problem in our hearts when we live indifferent to the will and the word of God? It can be summed up in one word, pride. That's right. The first sin ever committed was a sin of pride, Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 14. Sin entered earth through pride, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16. Pride is at the top of God's hate list for sins, Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16. Notice several other passages related to pride. You can look them up on your own time. Proverbs 16 and verse 5. Proverbs 8 and verse 13. Proverbs 16 and verse 18. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 2. God cannot bless pride when it dwells within your heart, when it dwells within your life and mind. And what he can bless, however, is the opposite of pride, humility. Humility. James chapter 4 and verse 6. When we humble ourselves under God's hand, he will bless our lives for his glory. It's really that simple. Pride brings pain. Humility brings blessings. Chapter 4, verses 31 through 33, you see the punishment of King Nebuchadnezzar. Because Nebuchadnezzar responded to the call of God in pride and arrogance, he suffered God's wrath. Remember the Bible says pride goeth before destruction and a holy spirit before a fall. We're told that it took a full year before the judgment of God came into his life. During this time, Nebuchadnezzar had probably written off the prophecy of his judgment as the babbling of a foolish man. However, the time came when the whip of chastisement bit the flesh of the great king of Babylon. God's delay in sending judgment should never be misinterpreted. You never get away from God. God, in his grace, will give you plenty space, plenty of time to repent, but there will always be a limit to his patience. The Bible's clear on that. The Bible is clear when it tells us there is a price on sin. While the wheels of God's wrath may grind slow, they grind exceedingly fine. God hasn't forgotten. He cannot forget. He is just giving the wayward soul an opportunity to repent. And when judgment did come, it was swift, it was just, it was complete. Nebuchadnezzar lost his power, he lost his glory, he lost his kingdom, his wealth, and everything that he had boasted in was completely taken away, and he lived like an animal. Nebuchadnezzar was made to be and live like an animal. He literally had a serious mental condition. He was a wolf man. And this great king before whom millions trembled in fear has been reduced to a pathetic, repulsive, ugly beast. God knew how to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention. 
And just for the record, God knows how to get every one of our attentions. He knows what it takes to turn our hearts to him, and he will not hesitate to touch that area in your life and mine when the need arises. It's a dangerous game when people try to make God blink. When he's on your trail, he'll do everything in his power to have you. Resistance is completely futile. Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 25 and verse 37, is told that his judgment will continue until he comes to the place of acknowledging God as his ruler. Now, this leads me to believe that had Nebuchadnezzar repented before the judgment came, he might have been spared the hell he had to endure. And since he refused to acknowledge the Lord as God, he was brought under the lash of judgment, and he remained there for seven long years. If you're out of the Lord's will, and the chastisement of God has not come upon your life yet, that means that you still have time to repent. I would advise you to listen to the call of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God and repent while there is time. If you're not saved, you're not in hell yet, but you're on the way. I challenge you to come to the Lord, to come before the Lord and receive Jesus Christ into your heart. Judgment is final in hell. Judgment can be avoided if God is acknowledged and exalted as he should be. And Nebuchadnezzar has a proclamation. Chapter 4, verses 34 through 37, our text. Nebuchadnezzar finally comes to himself and he sees the great glory of God. And I actually believe that Nebuchadnezzar had an actual conversion experience. I think that when we get to heaven, we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. And as evidence of his conversion, Nebuchadnezzar gives a loud testimony so that all people in his kingdom will know what has happened to him. He didn't hide what the Lord had done for him in his life. He boldly and he publicly proclaimed the glorious truth that he had experienced the God of heaven for himself. And in this public proclamation, the king gives bold testimony to his newfound faith in God. When we come to the place where pride has been broken we will find that we're not ashamed to tell the world what Jesus Christ has done for us. It is pride that prevents us from publicly acknowledging God and his work in our lives. And chapter 4 and verse 2, also in verse 34 and verse 37, chapter 4. Not only was this a public proclamation, it was a very personal proclamation. Notice how the king continually reminds us what the Lord has done for him personally. It's one thing to be able to relate what the Lord's done for others, but it's another thing totally different to say, this is what God, this is what God has done for me. The people of God should never hesitate to tell this world and one another about the great things the Lord has done in our lives. We should all have a public proclamation of praise to God that demands to be released. 
What has the Lord done for you? Why don't you tell God about it? Why don't you thank him for it? And then go tell somebody else about it. But it was also a very powerful proclamation. As the king relates all that the Lord has done for him, you'll notice the change in his character that was evident in his words. No longer is he threatening people who speak against God. He does not say that God is a great God among other gods. Here he just praises the Lord for what God has done for him. He acknowledges God to be the sovereign ruler of the universe. He declares the glory of God for all to hear, and he does so without shame or reservation. He tells his subjects that he is walking with God. His last words serve as a warning to every one of us who walks in pride before the Lord. He is able to bring us down. Nebuchadnezzar gives good evidence of a life changed by the power of God. Notice how the attention is off of himself and his accomplishments. Now he spends time exalting the Lord who has intervened in and changed his life. That's a good example for you and I. We need to experience what this man has. I'm not referring to the suffering endured, but we all need to come to the place where God fills our hearts and our lives and our vision. We all need to be in a place where our lives and our lips give powerful testimony of his life-changing power. What will it take to get your attention? What will it take to bring you down to the place where we will freely bring honor and glory to Christ? For a famous singer by the name of Charlotte Elliott, it took a direct confrontation of a preacher by the name of Caesar Milan. In London a long time ago, there was a concert in which many famous people were invited. Among them was the preacher Milan. When the show was over, Milan approached Mrs. Elliott and said, I thought as I listened to you tonight how tremendously the cause of Christ would be benefited if your talents were dedicated to his cause. You know, young lady, you are a sinner in the sight of God, but I'm glad to tell you that the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse you from all your sin. The singer became so angry that she stomped to her feet and she walked off. And as she was going, the preacher said aloud, I mean no offense, I'll pray that God's spirit will convict you. When she got home, she tried to go to sleep. The preacher's face and the preacher's words kept coming to her mind. Her sleep was disturbed and she was under terrible convictions over her sin. About two o'clock in the morning, she got up out of bed and she took a pencil and a piece of paper and with tears running down her cheeks, Charlotte Elliott wrote these words, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come. I come. For this young woman, who took a bold witness. For others, it may take a far more drastic means to get their attention. What will it take in your life before you'll get saved? What will it take before you give it all fully and finally to God? If there's issues that need to be settled, you can have those settled today. I can have the peace of God that passes all understanding. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. 
Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org, and let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you, and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.